are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. The biggest stories, the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of the Locked On Rockets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen of the day each and every day. Now today... We'll be talking to Josh Lloyd of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast as the NBA set a huge surge in players being sidelined due to health and safety COVID-19 protocols leading to multi-game postponements across the league. Doug Norrie of Locked On Nets to break down the Nets' decision to bring back Kyrie Irving as a part-time player. And Evan Damarell of Locked On Cavaliers to discuss the Cavs' surprising season and how J.B. Bickerstaff has transformed this team from ping-pong balls to playoff aspirations. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Joining us now is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Josh, just when you thought you were gone from Locked On NBA Mondays, I come dragging you right back into the mess to talk about what's going on with the NBA season. Yeah, it uh, hasn't been long since I've, uh, since I've been off, but um, I am back now on the other side of the microphone, Jackson. How does it feel? I got to ask you, how does it feel to be on the other side of the microphone for one of these? It's pretty weird. It's pretty weird to be uh, to be interviewed on a show that you hosted for about four or five years. But here we are, ready to do it, ready to ready to put this hat on. Well, I mean, it's it's as good a time as any to bring you back in because right now the NBA is dealing with rapidly spiking health and safety protocol cases around the league wide. Seven games have now been officially postponed a couple last week, a couple upcoming games. The Sunday night slate was just completely dismantled by the health and safety protocols and. The NBA and NBA Players Association are currently in the midst of ongoing discussions on how to, you know, approach a potential like replacement player plan to prevent any future postponements. I guess first place to start, Josh, is are you at all, are you surprised at how quickly this seems to have unraveled? Because it seems like we were going just fine, you know, a couple cases here and there across the season. And then we hit December and just, it all seemed to snowball, no pun intended with it being the wintry months, but yeah. How, how do you feel about it? Yeah, it is surprising. Like I thought we'd be able to get through most of this season. Like I wasn't particularly worried about many you know, COVID postponements or players being out consistently, especially with the high vaccination rates. Um, but I think what's happening here is you know, you're getting a player test positive, and then they're picking up a whole bunch of asymptomatic players who uh, are testing positive but don't have those symptoms. And because you, know, you get one player on a team, then they institute increased testing protocols on that team and finding those guys. I don't know what they're going to do with it though, because obviously there's cases spiking all over the world at the moment, but with so many of these guys, not even suffering any symptoms, like at some point this pandemic is going to have to become endemic and people are just going to, if they're dealing with no symptoms, I don't know if you can just continually have all these guys you know, sitting out for this period of time. I don't think it gets solved by signing you know, G league guys in to, to fill those gaps. Yeah, it's. I mean, that, we're going to talk about the the specifics of the replacement player plan and whether or not that's you know if it's it kind of just sounds like a band aid fix honestly at this point. But you know, as far as the decision for the league, because I mean that's kind of just the the question mark right now. Is this this week especially looking very rough? I mean, should the league consider you know any type of a, a 
you know, a brief shutdown to like get players to isolate, regroup, and then come back? Is it is it the right decision to just try and you know struggle on through this and just see where it, where it's going to take us? I don't know if you can say right decision or wrong decision. I don't think that you know, pausing the league as so many people tend to be throwing out there. I don't think that's going to do anything. I don't think it's going to happen for a start, but. What are you going to do? Like have every player, every staff member, every uh, employee lock themselves in a house for two weeks? I, it just, I just don't think it's going to happen. It, I don't think do, that, that players are not catching uh, COVID in the in the most part from playing. Like it's from other things they're doing as well. So you can stop games, but that means they have to stop their entire life for two weeks. And then when they come back, why why won't it start back up again? Like how does this? It doesn't solve the long-term issue with this unless they're just going to be locked in their houses for the entirety of the season. I think I don't think a two-week pause does anything apart from create more problems. You've got to find all those extra dates, which are not easy to find in terms of making up these games, and it doesn't fix the issue long-term. And it's you know, even when they come back, they're going to come back, and you're going to have like, oh, here's four guys that are testing positive after we come back in two weeks' time. I just don't think that there's that's any viability of that happening. You talked about how realistic, you know, some some of that might be. You know, I can I consider myself. I'm sitting here thinking like the only logical, you know, answer to some of these problems that the league is currently facing is to to just up the restrictions on what can and can't be done, you know, outside of these games. Because I'm in, largely in agreement with you. I don't think they're catching it from each other, right? The NBA is largely, you know, vaccinated, you know, with, with you know high high rates throughout the entire league. So. At what point do you consider maybe they might have to revert to some more strict, you know, testing protocols and rules around the players and, and what they can and can't do, which I know would receive significant pushback from the the players' association. But you might have to go back to some of the you know rules from the season prior to be able to just make sure that we don't have another huge spike in cases. Like just to to put some numbers in perspective here. There were just 16 or so cases going into December, reported cases in the NBA of players entering health and safety protocols. And we're over 70 in December alone. That number is just absurd. Yeah, it's it's a huge number. Now, I, I think there is some merit to increasing some of the restrictions on players. They may push back on that, but they're also not going to enjoy having to sit out 10 days at a time. So that's yeah, that's the sort of thing that's going to impact them. And I think there's some trade-off there, not like you're locking them down completely, but reducing what they do on the road, all that sort of stuff. There's going to be that. But in terms of increasing testing, I don't think that actually fixes the problem. I think that creates more of those issues because you're going to pick up way more asymptomatic cases and have more people actually sit out of games when um yeah and it lead to more of these replacement player things not saying that you know, we're avoiding testing so we don't get positive cases but increasing testing doesn't actually solve this issue of um of getting the players back into action you know you talk about obviously so many of these cases are coming up and they're asymptomatic I mean, how would we just have to sit here and think it'd be so negligent of the league to just say, okay, well, they're asymptomatic. They don't, you know, they're not exhibiting any. So just let them go out and play. Like, I mean, th that's not going to happen at this point. I mean, it, it, we're sitting in a situation where it feels like there's no right answer, right? Yeah, that, that's, that is how it feels. It feels like there is nothing you can do that's going to be 100% right. But um, you talked about, you know, they're not going to let these players play who are un asymptomatic. The, the NFL is doing it now. Like they are, if you are, if you are asymptomatic and vaccinated, you're not getting COVID tested, even if there's like contact or anything like that. So they're pushing through basically saying, well, this stuff is endemic. If you've got symptoms, then don't play, but they're pushing towards treating it more like someone's got 
a standard cold or a standard flu, obviously with the increased risk, but they, they're actually reducing testing on those asymptomatic players. Does the NBA follow that route? There might be some pushback, but if the NFL is already doing that, I think that might be, I think they might end up doing that. Cause again, these, these are players who are not feeling anything from it. They're in contact with everyone in the organization has to be vaccinated. 97% of the players are vaccinated. If they're just passing it amongst themselves as unvaccinated and no one's feeling anything, then that might be the direction they have to go. I think it, and I, I, I should say, don't quote me on this with the voice that I'm using on this podcast, but I think it may have been DeMar DeRozan. Somebody, I think it was one of the Bulls players said that the only symptom they had was boredom, being locked in their room just with nothing to do, you know, isolating. And uh, that other than that, they were completely asymptomatic, nothing else going on. We did hit very briefly on the, you know, replacement player plan. In effect, the idea would be that, you know, rosters, NBA teams would be required to have the, you know, the eight eligible players ready to go. And that could be some combination of, you know, 10 day contracts. Basically, if you've got some combination of injuries or players in health and safety protocols, it's an idea and a plan in the works to potentially keep these games from being postponed. Josh, at one point, at what point do you have to look at that and think, you know, if you're rolling like Kevin Durant and like 10, you know, four other like 10 day contract guys out there, are you just at that point, like, you know, you're kind of limping a product out there that's not exactly what, what you know, the consumer is used to. Well, that, that's true. That's not what they're used to. But I I, I think that that is, you know, I might be in the minority. I think it's actually preferable rather than not playing games. Because if you start postponing them, you're going to end up with, you know, back-to-back-to-backs and, you know, four games in five nights later in the year. And players are going to end up resting those games regardless. So uh, I think that that's going to create even more of an issue if you just say, well, we don't have our good players playing, therefore we must postpone the games. I think what would be ideal in a scenario like this is if we had a strict one-to-one G League NBA ratio where you could just say, well, now you've got your G League team and you can use any of those players. So you've got your 15 NBA guys, your two two-way guys, and then the 10 or 12 G League players, and you've got this pool of 30 players or whatever it is that you can just use. I think that is what would be the ideal scenario and what is there a couple of teams now that don't have G League? Maybe one or two. I think Portland is that, yeah. they're the only ones who don't have a team. So you could almost get that way anyway. Like the Magic did that. They pulled up four guys from Lakeland Magic the other day onto their roster. And, and I think you'll get a little bit more of that. That would be the ideal scenario just to have all those guys in the system and just you can bring them up and bring them back down, like you know, give them temporary two way status or whatever. But again, the Portland situation makes it a little bit tougher. The whole situation is tough, unfortunately, but uh, we're going to keep that, you know, keep everything monitored here and keep you up to date on everything regarding the league right here at Locked on NBA all throughout this week, which I'm sure we're going to get more news for all of this. And Josh, I, I apologize. We pulled you on here and we didn't talk a lick of fantasy basketball, but everybody can go check you out at Locked on Fantasy Basketball as you are navigating what's going on with all these players missing times, teams and all this missed stuff, right? Absolutely. It's uh, yeah, there's always stuff happening up to the date, up to the minute stuff. I do I'm doing live shows to try and keep up to date with what's going on there as well. But yeah, check us out over at Locked On Fantasy. Josh, thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. No worries, mate. Coming up, we'll touch base with Doug Nori of Locked On Nets to find out just exactly why the Nets have finally decided to bring back Kyrie Irving as a part-time basketball player. But first, got to get in a message from our friends over at Truebill. Because look, you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your hard-earned money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. Because look, I know that that's happened to me from time to time. I don't want to admit it, but it has, right? It's happened to all of us. 
on average, people save up to $720 per year with Truebill because companies make subscriptions so hard to cancel. Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap, one click, one button, one press. It's that easy. Don't fall for any more subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnMBA. Go right now. That's Truebill.com slash LockedOnMBA. It could save you thousands a year. That's Truebill.com slash LockedOnMBA. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA, where we thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Doug Norrie from Locked On Nets. Now, Doug, amidst the surging cases of you know COVID-19 across the league, all the health and safety protocols, no team has been hit harder than the Brooklyn Nets. And then past that, just they brought back they decided to bring back Kyrie Irving as as a part-time player amidst all of this going on and I guess where we have to start is is this the right decision for the Nets to to you know reverse their decision from you know where they originally stood before the season to not bring Kyrie Irving into the fold they didn't want to have him as a part-time player is this the right move for the Nets at the current you know juncture yeah, I don't think there's any doubt it's the right move. I, we've been saying for sort of like the last week plus on the podcast that it at least needed to be discussed in a real way um, about bringing him back because like the situation the Nets were in around the minutes, around some of the superstars, and just like even before the COVID thing happened, um, not the pandemic, but like this current rash of cases, it, it seemed very obvious that it would be better to have the way the rest of the league and the team was running like half the players in the league are part-time players at this point. So at that, from that standpoint, it really didn't seem like they're like that idea was holding as much weight really considering the circumstances. So I think for sure it was correct to do or to at least try. And I'm of the opinion, and I don't know if it's, you know, unpopular or not, that just because you said something early in the season, need, you need not adhere to it forever. Right? Like if the situation has changed and, now there's just new information around it. You are allowed to change. I know not everyone feels that way, but I, we have been saying for the last 10 days or so that they should exploring this option as it were. And they ended up doing it. The tea leaves were kind of there. And I'm, I'm a team with half time. Kyrie is better than a team with no, no time. Kyrie It's just from a strictly from a basketball perspective. So I'm here for it. So you don't have any concerns about this messing with, you know, team chemistry or, or even, uh, you know, Sean Marks, GM Sean Marks was kind of highlighting that the original decision was made with continuity as a factor in the original decision-making process to not bring Kyrie into the fold as a part-time player to mess with team chemistry, continuity, everything. Continuity is out the window at this well, point. Well, that's what I mean. Like that holds on. water. That holds water when continuity is everyone shows up every single day and there's no one sitting out for five games or whatever, but that's, that's no longer the case. Now, maybe, you know, things change and testing changes and there's fewer players sitting out and then the continuity looks worse. But I don't buy the continuity piece um, from that respect simply because there's nothing continuous in the NBA. It's the opposite. Everyone's out. And so at that point, if you're all part-time players or you're at the, all at the risk of being part-time players, um, then you might as well try something that's going to lighten the load for your team because – it's just better to have him half time than no time. Like I said before. So I, I'm, I don't think, and I think actually that part was probably overstated to begin with anyway. I, from all reporting, the team unanim unanimously voted to say, we're cool with this. 
like that, that I think that it was a top down decision from the beginning, whether it was optics or just it was different and they didn't want and they were just hope, holding out hope that he was going to go get vaccinated and make the decision easy. When that didn't happen, I think they were forced to relook at the hand they were being dealt. And like Kyrie wasn't changing. I, I'm not saying I agree with that piece either, but this is just the situation they're in. You talk about the unanimous decision, you know, that you mentioned beforehand. What's been the general attitude, you know, that, that you can tell so far of the the players and team personnel about this decision to to go ahead and bring him back? Okay, so when I say unanimous, like I, I should probably say that really there's only one vote that really matters, and that's Kevin Durant. <laughs> and so, like his vote counts for fifty, and then everyone else counts for one. Would probably be something like that. So when he raises his hand and says that he wants it. I'm not saying he's like a shadow GM or anything, but it's a superstar league and you'd be nuts to not um, have your best player, like arguably the best player in all of basketball, be part of the decision making around what's going to happen on the court because he's literally the whole reason that they're in the, the in the run for the championship. So, yes, I think everyone's vote in the room counted equally when they all proverbially raised their hands. But I think if Kevin Durant, it seems to be that, you know, cause a lot of the reporting came around, came out that, you know, he and Kyrie are in contact and they're constantly talking and they remain friends and they remain close. And when that started to leak over the last week, it became pretty clear that this was an orchestrated attempt to begin the process of like, he's coming back, right? Like we know Shams and Woj are essentially PR arms of the each of each team and players and stuff like that. And when those stories come out, it's just, there's always, fire where there's that smoke is kind of blowing up so i think that he probably wanted it the team probably looked at it and said that that you know we're fine with it and i i think that all the players like, like here's one more thing i know i'm going on but Kyrie is for all of his odd oddities and you know you know you know picadillos and whatever else he has he is pretty universally loved by other nba players like other nba players really like him and i think that if you just said, Hey, he's going to come back and play part-time and that's going to be the case. I, I don't, there's no world I think where anyone says no to that, because I think that that all kind of lines up. You mentioned kind of the, the burden that has been shouldered largely by Kevin Durant, you know, throughout this whole situation with the, with the Brooklyn Nets, how beneficial is this going to be for Katie? He's, he's averaging his highest minutes per game since he was 25 years old, his last healthy season in Oklahoma city. And, and, also, Doug, is it is it really overblown the workload that he's really kind of put on himself? I mean, even he has kind of brushed it off occasionally to the media. And then, you know, subsequently the next right, he brushes it off one night saying, oh, I might play 48 minutes, you know, the next game and then get sat on the second night of a back to back because they didn't want to overwork him. So how, how much of a concern do you have on, on the workload he's faced so far? Yeah, huge concerns. I, there's no way he should you, you should not be taxing him to the point that they were probably taxing him early on this season for games that are going to mean very little when it actually comes down to it. They're not missing the playoffs. If they're fighting for seeding, I kind of get it. Um, but it really shouldn't come at the expense of his workload. Adam and I have talked on the podcast a ton about how we thought the minutes were too high. Um, it's just the thing that leads to injuries. He's been very injured in the past. Like he's looked amazing. He seems to have had no problem with it, but that, you can fall off the cliff qu pretty quickly with that kind of thing. And so, yeah, the, the, they've just been forced. The, unlike a lot of other good teams, say the Warriors or like the Bucks when they were at their peak, right? The Nets also weren't 
they were winning games, but they weren't blowing anybody out, which meant that every game ended up being a huge load, right? Like it ended up being for him way more minutes than you want. If you think back to those Bucks years or even the Curry, like when they were just completely bodying people, they would get 30 minute nights, right? 29 minute nights because they were just, it was over by the beginning of the fourth quarter. You need, need not bring them in. The Nets really haven't had any game like that. And so, yes, they were able to sit him out, but every game was just this constant struggle of, yeah, we're winning, but he's playing 38 minutes. I think it's definitely a concern. If you're taking the long view on the team, he cannot be playing 38 minutes a night. It's totally nuts. So the, the part where anything that they can do to lighten that load is pretty critical to do now before it cascades to this massive problem later on, which sometimes you don't see coming. And then all of a sudden you tear your Achilles, right? Like it just happened. Like sometimes these things just happen because of, of fatigue or whatever. So I'm, I'm all for anything that's going to light the load because I don't think it's overblown. I think they, I think they really needed to dial. They talked about it. Nash said, we either play them less or we lose games. Well, you might just have to lose games. I don't know. So anything that can take the load off, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely here for. Well, the Nets are still sitting atop the Eastern Conference despite everything that's been going on with the team. No, and hey, you know, a couple games off here, right? I mean, I, I, if there's any, I guess there's sort of a silver lining in there. If if you can even glean a silver lining oh. from everything going on right now, but you know, next couple next couple nights off for the Nets, right? We joked about it, sort of like it's like sort of a half joke, half true about yeah, they have to take a couple games off, and Kevin Durant was going to have to just be forced to sit out and all parts where we hope he's happy and healthy and all that stuff aside, which, you know, by all accounts he is um, with, cause you know, he tested positive the, the part where they just have to, they just, their, their hand is forced and they just have to sit him out for four games is far from the worst thing in the world with this team. <laughs> like if you just ask, cause he'll never, he'll never volunteer to sit. He does not want to sit. The guy wants to play 48 minutes a game. He's just built like this. He's, he, you know, he's a total predator when it comes to how he plays in the basketball court. And you, he's the kind of guy, Sort of like Giannis, too. Like, you just need to force him out at times, and this had the effect of doing that. It's a stupid situation, and it's unfortunate, but, like, is it the worst thing in the long term for the Nets in minutes? Like, definitely not. Well, Doug, you're going to have this and everything else Brooklyn Nets covered for us over at Locked On Nets. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. All right, brother. Thanks a lot. Coming up. We'll be joined by Evan Damarell of Locked On Cavaliers to break down just how the Cavaliers have gone from being one of the worst teams in the NBA to being at the top of the Eastern Conference. And we'll get there after a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Because look, this holiday season, you can grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar or even better than a candy bar. That's Built Bar, filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat. And yes, high in protein. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. So many flavors, you'll have a hard time choosing. You're going to do raspberry, mint chocolate brownie, double chocolate, cookies and cream, my personal favorite, coconut brownie chunk. Bill Bar gives you the extra fuel that you need to bust down the mall doors and battle all the holiday shoppers. Or if you're just standing in endless shopping lines, Bill Bar can give you that extra something to keep you going. So throw one in your jacket or purse. You never know when you're going to need it. Again, Bill Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And you can check them out. Just visit built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your very next order. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. And another message from our friends at betonline.ag because BetOnline has you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the sports action this season. Head to their new updated website 
and sign up today using promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code locked on for a 50% bonus on your very first deposit from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked On NBA. Thanks for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Now make your second listen Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. Joining us now is Evan Damarell from Locked On Cavs. Evan, number two defense in the league, the fourth best point differential third in the eastern conference the the Cavs are a legitimate threat in the east this year tell me i mean how has jb bickerstaff turned a team that was that is fresh out of the lottery with the number three overall pick into one of the top teams in the east this season i think a lot of it does have to go credit does have to go to jb bickerstaff because I always say the Cavs playing a bigger lineup is only weird when it doesn't work, but we're nearly 30 games into the season at this point. And he has stuck to his guns. Predominantly, it's been Laurie Markkinen at the, at the three, Evan Mobley at the four, Jared Allen at the five. If Markkinen was unavailable due to health and safety, it was Dean Wade. Or with Evan Mobley being out now, it's Dean Wade starting in his place instead. So he's just kind of figured out some things that really work for this Cavs team. It's not just him, though. I think it's... Darius Garland kind of ascending into being one of the best young guards in the league and kind of really putting together an all-star caliber season. I think it's Jared Allen being worth every penny of that $100 million extension that he signed. I think it's Kevin Love buying in to be a, a bench player. I think it's the Ricky Rubio acquisition. Ricky Rubio kind of being the, the common thread that unites all these players. I think it's Jetty Osmond bouncing back from a bad season last year. And more, most of all, I think it's Evan Mobley just really being better than expected coming out of the gates coming into this season. Like at, at a summer league, we saw a lot of what the Cavs maybe saw on him at the third overall pick, maybe why he should have been maybe the number two pick. And if Cade Cunningham was in this draft, why he probably would have went first overall, but he looked raw. He looked a little unrefined. Granted, he was sharing the floor with Fiondu Cobb and Gailey at the time. So hard to really, and no true point guard. I mean, Isaac Okoro and project Thomas were playing point for the Cavs in summer league. So it's not really a lot you could glean from that, but it's the playmaking. It's the three point shooting. It's the defense, how advanced he is defensively. I think that, that the point differential and just how good the Cavs are defensively really speaks volumes on how mature Mobley is at 19 years old already. And I think the tandem of him and Allen just really work. And to circle back to your original question, JV Pickerstaff just has his finger on the pulse of this team. I think he has them fully bought in to playing his style of basketball and how he wants to on both ends of the floor. I asked him the other day, I said, uh, league health and safety protocols are kind of just running their course on this league. How are you concerned? He's like, well, you can't plan for it, obviously, but he's like, I have full faith in my system and my players and my coaching staff to make sure that we go out and be successful on a night to night basis. And they then proceeded to beat the bricks off of Miami that night. And then they did the following that Wednesday when they played the rockets as well, as you know, all too well, I texted you my condolences at the time, but <laughs> 
it speaks volumes to when this Cavs team is down Evan Mobley due to a hip injury at the time, now COVID, and they plug Dean Wade in to the starting lineup, a guy who went undrafted out of Kansas State two or three years ago at this point, and they just keep on chugging along. Like they're 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 a good team. I think the most fun thing is that no one expected them to be this good. So it's just a little bit of uh I'm enjoying it as it goes, and I'm just having a good time while covering them. Yeah, I mean I- Talk about the expectations. I want to first off, we're not going to talk about the Cavs Rockets beat down. Not on this. We can we can you, you can go listen to my uh, somber breakdown of that game or your jubilant, you know, excitement at, at a blowout on locked on Cavaliers for that. But, uh, you know, I, I find it so funny that this, you know, the, the the big ball lineup, whatever you want to call it, the trio of like seven footers that, that they're rolling out. It's kind of like the inverse of the Houston mm-hmm. Rockets from a couple of years ago in, in the uh, in the covid bubble. And that lineup, you mentioned it already, of Evan Mobley, Laurie Markkinen, and Jared Allen. They have a ridiculous 107.3 offensive rating, a 97.2 defensive rating, and well over 300 minutes played together. So when those guys play together, I mean, they're making it work. They're putting it together. I, I think that there's, you know, a few different guys that you can point to on this team. But who to you, Evan, is the most important player for this Cavs team? Oh, in general, it's probably Darius Garland because I don't think this Cavs team would be as successful offensively with that big trio because, like I said, it's only weird when it doesn't work. And by all conventional means of basketball sense, this three big or the big ass lineup, as JB Bickerstaff calls it, just doesn't make any sense. Because when they said Larry Mark, when they acquired Larry Mark in over the summer, I said, okay, that's weird because they have a lot of big guys on this roster. And then the Cavs announced that he was the starting three going forward. I'm like, okay, well, he's actually a four or five. So JB doesn't really view the team as more of like set positions. He calls them bigs and smalls. So I think his philosophy, the league is the game historically is one in the paint. And you're clearly getting that with three big guys on the floor, but you need somebody who can initiate the offense. And that's where Darius Garland comes into key. And like I said, his star is really rising this season. Um, in terms of plus minus right now, he's like fourth in the league currently at plus 288 off the top of my head. So that means the Cavs have outscored teams by 288 points when he's on the floor this season, which is insane to think about considering he was like minus 237 last season. So it's a huge leap for him. Uh, I think it's the three-point shooting. I think it's the playmaking. I just think him being comfortable and confident out there has really done a lot for them. But let's be frank. These are three big guys. They're not going to be able to create their own shots sometimes. I mean, yes, they can at times, but you can't expect them to do it reliably on every single possession. So you need a key point guard. I think Darius star rising again, also Ricky Rubio as well, being a key factor in this too. Those two are really like the key pieces for what makes this offense work. And if you watch a lot of Cavs film, you'll notice more often than not that one of those two are on the floor at any given moment with those big guys. With, Colin Sexton's season being ended, you know, unfortunately quite early. Has that kind of necessitated this almost expedited growth from Darius Garland now being kind of having to shoulder more of the offensive load in Sexton's absence? Uh, A little bit. I think this trajectory was kind of on its own set path to begin with when the season started where his rookie season, I talked about how you see flashes, the potential, and then those flashes kind of became big sparks. And then there's a couple games where he'd put it together and then he'd get hurt or he just looked kind of lackluster out there last season. But this year, Garland is finally just kind of putting it all together and really showing teams 
and fans why the Cavs took in fifth overall during the uh, Zion Williamson draft. So I think this is just a set trajectory. I think, yes, the Sexton injury really threw a wrench in those plans. Um, I think it just kind of you asking the shoulder, the offensive load a lot more at that point. I asked JB Bickerstaff about this the other night where Drew Holiday is a good example of this when they played Milwaukee not too long ago, where he just kind of put the clamps on Garland and frustrated him throughout the night and Cleveland's offense fell apart. And like, that's a clear indicator that the Cavs need a player like Colin Sexton to kind of get easy buckets and be a tertiary shot creator as well. And I think that's where the Cavs are going to miss Colin the most, but yes, I think the injury has kind of expedited this growth, but I also just think this was on a set path where this was only inevitable. We'd be having this conversation about him. Another guy who kind of had the door opened for him by way of the the sex and injury, Isaac Okoro, who we're not, again, we're not going to talk about the dunk across three different Houston Rockets players the other night. Um, Tune in for the sad tears on Locked on Rockets for that one. But how impactful has he been since being put in, thrown into the starting lineup? There was obviously an offensive dip because Colin Sexton was averaging, but other than his rookie season, a career low in terms of points per game this season, but he's still guaranteed 15 to 20, 25 points in a given night. Like I said, he's an elite three level score. He can get you buckets. He's using his physicality and strength and agility to the line more often than not. Like that's really hard to replicate that. And I wouldn't wish that on any player, but I think my friend, Mac Robinson asked a really good question. JB Bickerstaff about this saying, like, what's the key difference? JB more or less said like offensively, you're not going to get the same production from Isaac. So you have to kind of do it by committee at this point, which they're making it work. I think Ricky Rubio coming back down to earth is going to make it a little tougher going forward, but Okoro's defensive chops are legitimate. Um, the other night when they played your rockets, I won't mention the dunk, but he did call himself an elite defender. You don't really hear that that often from sophomore players, especially who says that like definitively with full confidence as well. And he's right. I think he is an elite defender. He has the ability to defend one through three with relative ease. He has the size and ability to defend fours. If you ask him to maybe not five, not, not so much yet, but it's, it's been reported and I've heard it myself that maybe if Okoro kind of keeps this growth of his where he's not as big a liability offensively as he was to start this season, when it, especially when he joined the starting lineup, because he was dealing with hamstring injury recovery, which is it's tough for any player for sure to kind of deal with that. So a little bit of the burst wasn't there. I think his shot not falling and teams kind of disrespecting him by plenty of their centers on him was a huge thing. Um I just think he will never be able to provide the offensive production Colin does, but the defensive ability more or less equates that. And I look at it this way. He's learning to play with the ball in his hand still, which is tough for a young player. But once he gets more comfortable doing that, it gives more opportunities for him off the ball, but also unlocks the offense further by giving more opportunities for Darius Garland to create offense for his teammates. So I think it's a mutually beneficial thing. Um, just like I said, you just the expectations were never like, oh, Isaac's going to come in and completely replace Colin offensively because that's just a fool's errand to think that. I had my doubts about this Cavaliers team and I, not that I was, you know, proven you wrong or anything. Brother. I was just kind of waiting to see. I was just kind of waiting to see how things would would play out. You know, Evan, what what does this Cavs team have to do to prove to to everyone to the rest of the NBA that they are legitimate or have they done it already? I mean, we're we're over a quarter of the way through the season and they're third in the East. I think they have proved it. I think if you ask a lot of opposing teams after they play Cleveland, they realize like, oh, wow, these aren't the same Cavaliers that have been here since LeBron left for the second time. I think a lot of these players that have been here for a while, whether it was Sexton when he was available or Garland or even Jared Allen, um, 
and Isaac Okora as well. Like they hate losing. Like throughout their lives, they aren't used to losing because they've always been successful at every stop. So they just want to. They really want to turn this around and kind of make this into a place that they embrace this underdog mentality. If you watch Cavs, the Cavs play, you can see them parking at each other on the sidelines or when they're hyping each other up because it's just it's a weird Cleveland thing that they do. And it's like I said, it's only weird when it doesn't work. And right now, it's working. But I think nationally when you look at it if whether it's zach Lowe who gets excited to talk about the Cavs on his segments or you have like jj reddick or richard jefferson on espn when they say like hey they're asking to talk about the Cavs, or their ears perk up when they bring up the Cavs or something like that i think organically people are starting to notice them on a national scale i think if you look at it from a local side of things, I think everyone was down on them, whether it's Chris Fewer, the lead beat writer or myself or my co-host, Chris Manning, or there's the majority, nobody really expected this from them. I think we ran a sports betting show prior to the season, just with uh, Ben Raxelrod at WKYC. And we said, in terms of betting the over the under on teams, we said, smash the under on the Cavs. They're going to be bad this year. Uh, and that was when they were projected to win somewhere around 26 games. The last I checked, they're on pace to win 52 games this season, which is incredible. And I, I think that's part of the fun. There were zero expectations coming in this season, and it's just been really enjoyable every step of the way. And hopefully, maybe the league puts flexes them, puts them on a couple national TV games, and realizes the error of their ways. But let's wait for them to get healthy first, and then. Maybe then that'll be their coming out party to say, like, okay, the Cavs are maybe they're not back back without LeBron, but they're certainly in a lot better of a place than they were two even a year ago, two years, even a year ago. Quite the turnaround for the Cavaliers indeed. Yet another team, unfortunately, dealing with the COVID-19 health and safety protocols as we have hammered out uh, thoroughly in segment one of today's show. But with that, Evan, you're going to have everybody covered for everything Cavaliers over at Locked on Cavs. Thanks for joining me on Locked on NBA. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app. Hit subscribe, leave some stars, drop a review. We would sincerely appreciate it. Also, check out the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, hit subscribe, like, comment, review, all that good stuff. As always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the local experts, the biggest stories.